Welcome to episode 46 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Why, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. Now, I know most of you are familiar with the power of protein to help us to recompose our bodies, get fitter and leaner by losing body fat and protecting and gaining muscle or lean body mass. Now, protein supplementation is one of the best ways to do it. It is scientifically validated to help us produce high quality weight loss. Now, when it comes to weight loss, traditionally, a lot of people will do high carb, low calorie diets, and those have been shown to generate upwards of 40 percent lean body mass loss. Now, protecting your lean body mass and your muscle is crucial when you are wanting to lose some fat because during weight loss, you don't want the weight lost to be coming from your muscle. The more muscle you're able to retain, the more you're retaining metabolically active tissue, which is going to keep your metabolic rate much higher and help you maintain the fat loss after you have achieved it. Now, one of the best ways, as I said, to do this is through using protein shakes. I've been on the lookout for years to find a high-quality protein supplement that does not have fillers, dyes, artificial sweeteners, and using cheap protein concentrate, which can cause all kinds of issues like bloating and indigestion. I finally created a protein supplement that meets my standards, and it's something that I personally use every single day, and that is Tone Protein. Tone Protein not only is extremely clean and high quality with only whey protein isolate, no concentrates, no fillers, it is also scientifically formulated to optimize muscle protein synthesis, which is going to help you build lean body mass and muscle in the most efficient way possible. I am so incredibly excited about Tone Protein. Not only is it extremely high quality and optimized to help you recompose your body. It is also absolutely delicious. We've been having so much fun with all the different flavors that we are creating, and I just can't wait for you all to try it. Now, I wanted to create a special launch discount for all of you listeners so that you could check it out, try it out, see how you like it, and test it out for yourself. In order to receive that launch discount, you can head over to toneprotein.com and sign up with your 
name and email address, and you'll receive an email to double opt in to the list, and you'll be the first to know when Tone Protein is available to order, and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. It is going to be the biggest discount that we ever offer on Tone Protein, so I really want all of you to be able to receive it. So be sure to go to toneprotein.com, sign up with your name and email, and you'll be double opted in to that list. And I am so excited for you all to try it out. Let me know what you think of it and let it help you to optimize your body recomposition goals, get that fat loss and maintain and protect your lean body mass while doing it. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. 
Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 46 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And how are you today, Jen? I'm doing great, enjoying my coffee every oh, day. Teaser. <laughs> <laughs> enjoying the coffee episode part two yes. <laughs> for listeners. <laughs> In case you haven't figured this out yet, by when I'm guessing I will make the title of the episode and everything, this is the second part of our coffee episode. We didn't really think we were going to do it in one episode. No, we actually didn't, but we had so many questions. People just love to ask questions about coffee. So we, we hopefully we can get it done in two. <laughs> so I read a study last night that made me super happy. Ooh, I can't wait to hear about it. So you know how I'm always on the struggle bus and always researching and obsessed with carbs and not carbs and meat and not meat and gut my and how it affects the gut microbiome and how it affects everything. Like it's my my constant struggle <laughs> about do I need more of yeah. the fiber? Do I need more of the plants? <laughs> Is too much meat hurting yeah. the bacteria? All of the things. Okay. So I found a study last night called Meat, Dairy, and Plant Proteins Alter Bacterial Composition of Rat Gut Bacteria. And it literally, I got so excited. I was like, oh, how have I not seen this study before? Because they looked at, wait, I just have to read the first sentence. They say long-term consumption of red meat has been considered a potential risk to gut health, which makes you think that that's going to be the takeaway of the study, but it's not. They basically looked at different types of protein fed to rats. So they looked at beef and pork, which is the red. They looked at chicken and fish, which is the white. And they looked at casein and soy, which was like the plant or the other. And they found that it significantly affected the profiles of the gut microbiomes of the rats. So I was reading that and I was like, I know what it's going to say. It's going to say that the plant was best and the red meat like killed their gut microbiome. That is not what they found. Do you know what they found? No, <laughs> I do not. <laughs> they found that lactobacillus, which is like the good, one of the good bacteria that we're always talking about trying to cultivate in our gut. They found it was highest in the white meat in the white meat group. Oh, that's interesting. And it was also higher in the in the red meat than um than the non meat. Well, and that was the 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 plant protein you were talking about, soy, right? Soy and casein. Okay. So it was dairy, dairy and plant protein. But they found so they found that meat protein rather than dairy and plant protein increased um, the lactobacillus and they also found and this is what just made me you should have seen me it was like 12 30 last night and i was like oh they also found that um they said rats fed with meat protein and casein so anything and any animal derived protein had significantly lower levels of lipopolysaccharide binding proteins suggesting that the intake of meat proteins may maintain a more balanced composition of gut bacteria thereby reducing the antigen load and inflammatory response in the host. Okay, to break that down, 
I, I realize l- listeners might not know what lipopolysaccharide binding proteins is, but that's something that just makes me so happy. Okay, so lip- <laughs> lipopolysaccharides are basically endotoxin compounds that are released from oftentimes from like gut bacteria or toxins in our system. So they're things that we don't want. They create an inflammatory response. So basically the takeaway of this study is they found that the rats that had more meat protein, there's basically there was less lipopolysaccharides and less endotoxin in the meat protein fed rats. And thus it was a, it was a less inflammatory response. It just makes me so happy. Like you don't even know. I mean, I know it's a rat study and that like who knows what's going on, but I just I just know in the past I've thrived so well on a super high meat and super high fat diet and super low super super low carb diet, and um, I've been wanting to sort of like I've been experimenting with that and thinking of going back to that, but then I always I stress about like the gut microbiome and the inflammatory response, and I know we've talked about this a ton, but it's very individual and. It's a whole debate about, you know, gut bacteria and gut diversity, but at least there has been one study that did show that the meat protein had an anti-inflammatory and a beneficial effect on the gut bacteria. Am I the only person that's really excited by this study? (laughs) That, that, yeah, that's that. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that was exciting. (laughs) I'm sure you're not the only person excited about that study. No. I know I'm not because Dr. You know, I always talk about Dr. Ruscio's podcast. And we've been having a lot of listeners since I've been talking about that who actually write in about that. But he talks about stuff like this all the time. So I know there are people that are obsessed like me. And then the listeners. That's my news. Well, good. I'm glad. What year was that? 2015. Okay. Well, that's good. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. With coffee, nothing to do with coffee. Yeah. Actually, did you find any studies about how, and we didn't get any questions about this, surprisingly, about how coffee affects the gut microbiome? Oh, I actually have read about that. It's, um, it actually has beneficial effects on the gut microbiome. Um, when I was writing Feast Without Fear, I did a great deal of studying about that. And um, Dr. Michael Mosley, he's British. He has a, um, a book called... Now I can't think of the name of the the Good Guts Diet or something. What is it? I can't think of the name of it. He also wrote The Fasting. He did. He he was um, the big promoter of the 5-2 um, plan. But uh, what's his book? The Good Guts? Something about the guts. Anyway, he has a gut microbiome book, and he talks in there about um, how the polyphenols in coffee are very good for our gut microbiome. Also, he talks about red wine being good for our gut microbiome. I was going to say so, the red yeah. wine has the same beneficial effect. Yeah. So, yeah. Back in my very low-carb day, I was having the red wine. Maybe I should just go back to instinctively what I... What felt right. Red wine, coconut oil, and chicken. <laughs> yeah. See, that I would not feel good on that. No. Blah. No. Like, for example, we had for dinner the other night, we had... um. By the way, I'm I'm trying a new meal delivery service that I tried in the past and I've introduced them back again because my son's at college and their meals for two are a lot better than their family meals. And so um and they have organic options, which was great. So I had a big old giant slab of pork chop <laughs> for dinner, I think Friday night. It was a big old piece of pork chop. 
And this was actually one of their paleo meals, although I did add a roll on the side, one of my fresh-baked rolls. I unpaleoed it. But um, it had sweet potatoes, and it had this slaw, and um, this big old piece of pork chop, and it was delicious. I loved it. But then last night, I was like, oh, I just don't want to eat any meat. So we had a vegetarian meal instead. I mean, I do find that when I have like a lot of meat on one day, I don't really want as much. The See, next my, day. Yeah, my body tells me I don't, I don't feel well when I eat a whole lot of meat. So I don't really need any study to tell me that I feel better when I don't eat too much meat. I, my body tells me that. So, you know, <laughs> then I had this delicious vegetarian meal last night with orzo, which is like a little type of pasta and it had all sorts of vegetables in it and rainbow chard and butternut squash and garlic and I feel like my gut microbiome was happy. I will say that sounds delicious to me. It was delicious. But I know if I had it, I would just swallow up like a balloon, which is so sad. Yeah, that is sad because it was it was delicious. A few months ago, I went on a huge pork research tangent because I was really curious because pork is often demonized as like the meat not to eat. Well, even a lot of religions have a, a ban on pork. And so, you know, we find that a lot of this ancient wisdom is based on stuff they didn't really understand, but has a scientific basis when you investigate it. So what did you find? So basically pork can be very inflammatory, but marinating it adequately, I don't know if it was completely reduced that inflammatory effect, but significantly reduces the inflammatory effects. That's interesting. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me because if I eat a lot of bacon or prosciutto, um, I definitely feel feel not as not myself. Like it'll make me feel a little there's that heavy, heavy, fatty pork doesn't sit well with me. I can have a little bit, but um I realized that with some of these meal service meals that would have like, you know, a prosciutto pizza or something. Um you know, I can eat pizza, the the meal delivery pizzas, they you know, with homemade dough and all of that. But when you put all those, the prosciutto on top, it's just too heavy. All right. Shall we jump into the actual topic? Yes. We have a question from Paige, and her subject is four I have questions. But actually, we already addressed three of them last week. Or two so weeks this ago. This is her fourth or when, yeah, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we addressed her other questions. So this is her final question, and it is about coffee. And she says, Jen, one time you mentioned that some people are sensitive to coffee. I've tried drinking a cup of black coffee, several cups of black coffee throughout the morning, bulletproof coffee, coffee with heavy cream, etc. None of that matters. I am still hungry. My stomach growls and growls and growls until around 1 p.m. Has anyone written in about being sensitive to coffee could you talk about that? If my stomach has been growling all this time, have I been kicking myself out of ketosis? What say you, Melanie? Well, hi, Paige. Thank you for your fourth question, although I think it was your third question out of your four questions. Um, so you're asking if people can be sensitive to coffee, and the answer is yes, as far as coffee sensitivity goes. We talked about this on last podcast but some people are slow metabolizers, metabolizers of caffeine, and some people are quick metabolizers of caffeine. The half-life actually ranges from three to seven hours, and I'm guessing it ranges because people metabolize it differently. But our genetic 
predispositions to caffeine have to do with how it's metabolized in the liver, and it has to do with specific genes, like apparently the CYP1A2 gene, and um, changes in that gene can affect how quickly you metabolize it. Then also recently, Harvard University, they did a study of 120,000 people, and they found that there are two genes that affect how caffeine is metabolized. There are two genes that affect how rewarded we feel from caffeine. And then there are two genes, and this one is probably particularly applicable to our podcast, but they found there are two genes that regulate that affect fatty acid and sugars in the bloodstream in response to caffeine. So that was really interesting. Genetics can determine how caffeine affects blood sugar levels and fatty acids. But Paige's question about being sensitive to coffee, I don't know if she actually means more like like an allergy type sensitivity or... Making her hungry, I think is what she means. I've actually had had people in the Facebook groups who have had to give up coffee. Yeah, they they find that it makes them hungrier for whatever reason. Um, yes, and they they feel better without it. So it, it's not something that that it's usually the other way around. People usually are, are less hungry with coffee, but occasionally someone will say that they're more. It used to kill my appetite, and it still can. But now, interestingly, sometimes I'll wake up completely not hungry, and then I'll have coffee, and then I'll be hungry. So I guess it can change as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, this is something I meant to bring up last week. Do you know who Ray Pete is? I he's, do. He's like the, um. what's the word? I almost wish he didn't exist because he says the complete opposite of basically everything. Not everything, but he says the opposite of what a lot of my health people say and is a reason that I am always stressing about, oh, should we have carbs? Should we not? Should we have have sugar? Who knows? (laughs) He actually is a big advocate of having coffee with your meals because he says that it supports the thyroid and then your metabolism of meals. So like a lot of the repeat people will, even if they're having dinner, they'll drink coffee with dinner for to support the thyroid. Yeah. That would keep me awake. Yeah, I think so. But then but then they but then they say that it doesn't because basically the caffeine is immediately going towards supporting like the thyroid and the digestion. Oh, okay. Well that's interesting. Paige, if it's making you hungrier, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And you might be one of those people I would just try without it and see. Especially not having it with, with bulletproof coffee and not having the heavy cream. I would definitely avoid that. (laughs) But yeah, she also had one more question. She asked if a stomach growling meant she was getting kicked out of ketosis. No, Um, those are are not related as as far as I know. Stomach growling, we've talked about this before. It's a mechanical process going on. And And it's actually always happening. You just only hear it when your stomach is empty. It's from the migrating motor complex, so like the movement of the intestines, and that's happening That's happening on a cycle, or it should be, and it happens when you eat. You just don't hear it. Yeah, so it's, it's not related to that. People worry about that growling stomach, don't they? They do. <laughs> they do, they do. They do. 
Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hack. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. All right, are we ready for the next one? Yes. All right, so this comes from Alice, and the subject is how much is too much. And Alice says, Hi, Melanie and Jen. I never thought I would be in this crazy and wonderful world of intermittent fasting, but here I am, seven and a half weeks in and loving how I feel. I had a quick weight loss of nine pounds in the beginning, but have maintained the same weight for the last three weeks. I'm also not feeling any other non-scale victories lately. I do a 19-5 fast every day, with an occasional 18-6 day sprinkled in. One thing I've come to love during my fasting time is black coffee over ice. In fact, I drink it constantly all day until about 4 p.m. I feel fine on it and don't have any issues sleeping. 
I don't add anything to my coffee, like cream, stevia, etc. One thing I wonder about is how much is too much. Doesn't coffee have a negligible amount of calories, maybe 10 calories per 8 ounces? Can I maybe contribute my recent stall and weight loss to possibly breaking my fast during my fasting window with too much coffee? I've definitely had more and more as my journey has continued. Thanks for your help. All right. That's a very interesting question. And um, I feel like this would be a great time for you to experiment. You know, if you feel like this could be contributing to a stall, I would say cut back and see if that makes a difference because maybe maybe it is making a difference for you. Um, as far as, you know, the negligible amount of calories, again, it, it's one of those things that pretty much most of the people in the intermittent fasting world and most of the researchers um, say don't worry about that. But... You know, if you if you suspect this could be part of the problem for you, then see about cutting back and see if that does make a difference. And then you will know if it makes a difference for you or not. Try that first. What do you think about that? Well, if you haven't listened to it, Alice, because you ask if coffee is breaking your fast, we did discuss <laughs> at length last episode last week. Uh, the part one of the coffee episode, we talked a lot about whether or not coffee breaks the fast. So definitely listen to that if you haven't listened to that yet. And uh, for listeners, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 46, there will be links. So I'll put a link to that podcast. Um, there'll be links to everything we talk about. But yeah, no, I like what you said, Jen. I, I don't think it's a, ca- a calorie thing that would be messing you up as much as just how you're responding personally. So... Yeah, got just got to experiment and find what works for you. Yeah, I think so. But if you suspect you're drinking too much, that's that may be a sign that you are. All right, now we have a question about serapeptase from Kelly, and it is about serapeptase and coffee. <laughs> we really have every question. We do. Anything related to coffee. I can't believe we're at that point where we we have a question about serapeptase. Like we do this episode and we have a question about serapeptase and coffee. Well, here it is. She says, I am starting to take serapeptase due to the mention in your podcasts. I know it needs to be taken away from food, but can it be taken with coffee and sole, which is salt water? I have been taking serapeptase as soon as I wake up and within 10 minutes or so after that, I have my sole and coffee. Wondering if that will interfere and I should start taking it at a different time. Thanks so much, Kelly. All right, Kelly. So thank you for your question. So both Jen and I do take serapeptase during our fasted period. Do you take yours right in the morning? Yeah, first thing. I do as well. So serapeptase is a protolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. Basically, you, you need to take it during the fasted state and it is an enzyme that enters your system and breaks down residual like protein buildups in the body. Um, so it's great for inflammation. It's amazing for allergies. We've had a lot of listeners write in and say that it completely like cleared their sinuses. So that's what it is. And it does need to be taken in the fasted state. Like I said, I think you really just have to listen to your body. Like I mentioned on last week's podcast where we discussed Rhonda Patrick's thoughts on things and she was saying, and when she interviewed Dr. Panda, that supplements start the metabolic clock. So there was this idea that maybe ingesting anything that's not water 
including supplements, that that would be that that would be breaking the fast. But um, as we talked about on that podcast, yes, there is that information, but you really just have to go with how you feel and do what works best in your lifestyle. Well, I do know that serapeptase goes down to the small intestine, right? They do it like in those those enteric coated capsules. In a special coating because that's where it needs to go. Yeah. Yeah. They do that on purpose because otherwise it would negate it. That's why I think that I wouldn't worry about taking it with the coffee and the Soleil. First of all, it reacts with proteins, you know, and neither coffee nor Soleil water are, are protein. So I wouldn't worry about having it with the coffee or the salt water personally. And they're not even really, you know, the coffee is going to get processed in a different way than the, than the um, serapeptase since it goes down to your small intestines. Oh, so she's asking about um, having it interfere. I don't think it interferes with those two things. If you go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like, that's where we put links to the stuff we like. <laughs> and Jen and I actually take the same brand. We take the Doctor's Best high potency one. So that's in a special, like we just said, an enteric coated capsule. And that does upset some people's stomach. So you can try, if that doesn't work for you, different brands, maybe one that's not enteric coated. I, feel, I read, though, that it has to be, right? I've or read it, that, but then I've read that there are versions, because of the nature of the serapeptase, that it would still make its way to where it needed to go. And I've actually experimented, and I've gone through periods where I've done it without the capsules. Like, I've taken just the powder. It always seemed to have the same effect, but I don't know. Well, we've got a couple of questions now about coffee additives. Are we ready to move on to those? Yes. This is the coffee additive section. And the first one is from Marguerite, and the subject is cinnamon. And she says, hello, ladies. I've been dabbling with IF for a few months. I recently came across your podcast and have been enjoying listening to it on the way to work. Love you, ladies, and love how informed you are. I notice that when I fast clean is when I feel best and have the best results. The most difficult thing for me has been black coffee I just cannot get used to it. Yuck. And I love my coffee. Lately, I have been adding a sprinkle of cinnamon, and it seems to be better. Just wondering what your thoughts are. Could cinnamon raise my insulin? Also, what are your opinions on the ketone test strips? Are they accurate? Thanks so much, ladies, for mostly keeping me great company on the way to work. And then we have another one from Molly, and her subject is spices and coffee during a clean fast and question on ketosis. And she said... After a long weekend of binge listening to your podcast, I started IF cold turkey the day after Labor Day. No added sweeteners and no more diet soda or soda in general. It has now been two months and I've only lost about nine pounds and have about 50 to go. I started with a seven-hour daily eating window and have moved to a four to five-hour window for the last six weeks. I love it and know that a big change I still need to make is reducing my carb intake. I originally... Had just cream in my coffee, but switched to black when Jen talked about clean fasting. I like it, particularly iced, but every now and then I add a sprinkle of cinnamon and nutmeg to my Americano at Starbucks. Do the spices make it no longer a clean fast? Second question. If I, so if I'm not losing weight after this much time during IF, does it mean I'm not getting into ketosis either? I occasionally get the taste in my mouth, but not every day. Thanks for your help, and I wish you both continued success with the podcast, Molly. 
Alrighty, so spices and coffee, Marguerite and Molly talk about cinnamon. So cinnamon has been shown to lower blood glucose levels. It does have that effect, which in general, you would think that would be supportive of the fasted state because typically beneficial to lower blood sugar levels. Although I guess if you were like, if you have problems with hypoglycemia or anything like that, which I actually often do, um, then that might create a, a rebound hunger effect from the cinnamon. How do you feel about spices during the fast, Jen? Well, this, this is one of those things, again, that goes in what I call the gray area. And if you see my um, blog post called, Can I Have Blank While Fasting? Cinnamon is one of those specifically that I talk about. Um, because theoretically, as you just said, we have a lot of research. I have a, a paper that we'll link in the show notes um, from 2010 that human studies do show that um, – you know, if you've got metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, polycystic ovary syndrome, all people who have trouble with um, insulin in their lives show beneficial effects of cinnamon on um, glucose, insulin, insulin sensitivity. So it's shown to be beneficial. So theoretically, you could make a case for this could be actually very useful. If your problem and the reason you're not losing weight is because you have high circulating insulin all the time, so you're having trouble accessing your fat stores then something that would lower your insulin level would be a good thing. So theoretically, it would work very well for you. Now, on the flip side of that, if you lowered your insulin or lowered your blood glucose, like Melanie just said, and you're hypoglycemic, then it might make you hungry or shaky. You know, lowered blood glucose can make you shaky. So this is another one of those things that you'll just, I suggest trying it without it. Um, get used to how the clean fast feels, and then you'll know if it gives you a problem. Yeah, exactly. Like I know for me, there are all these supplements that are <laughs> people talk about using them to lower blood sugar levels as a good thing. But then when I have it, I get like, yeah, like super hungry or. Um... Right, because you, you it clears out the blood glucose and our problem is not that we have high blood glucose. Our gl blood glucose is just right. So if your blood glucose is awesome, you don't want to lower it. So, you know, it's like, yay, it's going to lower my blood glucose. No, that's not what you want if everything is fine. So it's it's one of those things you just have to case by case see how it does for you. Um, she, there are several other questions in there. One of them was about the ketone test strips. And that one is an easy one to answer. Um, are they accurate? No. The ketone, well, actually, she just well, said. Well, depends what yeah, she, yeah. I, I was assuming she meant urine, the urine test strips. The urine test strips are not accurate because they only measure the ketones that you're excreting in your urine. And so if your body is really used to using ketones and really good at it, you're not going to excrete a lot of them. So you're going to use them. So they're not going to show up in your urine. We've talked about this before. So I feel like they're really only slightly applicable when you first start something that would be introducing ketosis right. because then you could see if you're you know never producing ketones then you could see oh now I am making ketones but as you become if you stick with it and it the more you are either ketogenic or enter ketosis on a regular basis your body becomes efficient with using those ketones so you're not going to be excreting them in the urine. I actually also listened to a podcast yesterday 
and the speaker was saying that in addition to, because we always give the reason of you're using the ketones, so that's why they're not showing up in the urine. But um, he said also the longer you do ketosis, that you stop producing as much ketones because he was saying that like because you because you start making them on more of like a need by need basis rather than like just all the time all the time yeah that makes sense too you could for example be not in ketosis but you could slam exogenous ketones or a ton of mct oil and then be having ketones in your urine even right. though you're not in ketosis or pretty you're not producing them from your own fat that's a good point the two other like test strip alternatives there's the blood test strips and there's also like breath testing in the end i i believe the blood test is the most accurate because that's showing what ketones are active in your blood the breath tests it could be a similar thing where you're just excreting them but then i did i talked about this on a previous podcast that said I did read a study saying that the breath test tends to line up adequately with blood test results, but in the end, the blood test is going to be the the most accurate. All right. So Molly had a second question about weight loss, and uh, she said that she had been doing it for about two months and had only lost nine pounds, and so she was worried about her rate of loss. And I would like to say, Molly, nine pounds in two months is actually a typical rate. If you think about a pound per week average, you are right on it. So I would not worry about that rate of loss. Um, I think you're, you're doing fine. And if you're getting that taste in your mouth, you know, she was worrying if she was getting into ketosis. If you're ever getting that taste in your mouth, then you can be certain that your body is doing what it needs to do. So I would not worry about that at all. I will say taste in the mouth are subjective. I know that we use that as like a, a indicator of ketosis, but there are other things that could create weird tastes in your mouth. I'm just saying that like, I don't want us to be like, this is a definite indicator of ketosis when we don't know that, that it's still subjective and it's not like we're, we're not measuring it. Um, I just want to just throw that out there. Yeah. I actually will say that I, um, when I had the breathalyzer that I was using back in the day, um, it would line up for me. So that's how I knew what the signs of ketosis were for myself. So when I would have these certain signs, I would use the breath meter and, um, and, and the ketones would be present. So, um, it's an excellent point that unless you are familiar with how that feels in your body, you can't be maybe certain. The Keto Summit just happened, so I've been watching all these keto videos. It was the Keto FX Summit. They would ask all the, the guests if they measured their ketones, and most of them all said the same thing. They said that they did it in the beginning to just get sort of an idea of how it felt, and then once you are familiar with that, you don't really need to be, like, testing all the time. Right. You don't You don't need to – you don't wonder – you know what it feels like. And once you're familiar with it, there's no mistaking it. And then I know for like like Keto Gains, which is one of the main keto resources, their new tagline is Chase. Is it Chase Results, not Ketones? Oh, I love that level of ketone. People get obsessed with it. That, and they over, they're like, am I in it? Am I not? What, ha- what, at what moment does it begin? And 
I mean, the number of questions that people ask in the Facebook groups about that, like at what moment do I begin? We, we don't know. <laughs> it's so variable from person to person and what you're eating and what's in your glycogen stores and so many different things. And so you can make yourself crazy overanalyzing every little thing. I would really only advocate a more obsessive approach to ketones if you're doing it for like a therapeutic reason for a brain condition or something. But just for general fat burning and general productivity in life, you just go just <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like go, I mean it does, but go go on how you feel and what results you're getting. So Exactly. All right, we ready for the next question? Yes. So we have two related questions. The first one's from Jennifer, and the subject is vital protein collagen. Jennifer says, I would like to know if I can use vital protein collagen in my black coffee during my fasting period. Also, can you tell me what supplements can be taken during the fasting period? I've been IF since November. I'm feeling great and have lost 13 pounds. Before I started my IF, I took several supplements in the morning and evening, including probiotics, fish oil, multivitamin, and vitamin D. However, I haven't taken these during my fast period, and I would like to know your opinion on this. Thank you. And then we have an email from Gina, who's, and the subject is IF and collagen peptides, and she says, does collagen peptides in your black coffee break the fast? So we've addressed this at length on a previous podcast, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 46, I'll put a link there. Um, basically, a lot of people do advocate having collagen peptides in coffee during the fast, but I think that this is literally the most obvious thing not to have during your fast. Like, I think if there's one thing, I mean, there's the whole debate about fat and all that, but protein, that is what is going to short circuit autophagy, even in like minuscule amounts. In case you're wondering, leucine is the, is the most anti-autophagy protein. That's just a side note. I realized I didn't really explain anything. I just said, um, if you're having any sort of protein in your fast, that is going to stop the process called autophagy during your fast. And it's where your body starts recycling old proteins and broken proteins in your body. And it's super beneficial um, for inflammation. And it's one of the main benefits of fasting. And so collagen is going to stop that for sure. Yeah, I, I actually have a quote from Dr. Jason Fung from his blog post. We'll link this blog post for the show notes. Um, a, a blog post he made about protein. Or I don't know if it's a blog post about protein or his blog post about autophagy. I can't remember. But I have it linked, um, but he said, quote, what turns off autophagy? Eating, glucose, insulin, and proteins all turn off this self-cleaning process, and it doesn't take much. Even a small amount of amino acid, parentheses, leucine, could stop autophagy cold. So, I mean, this, I agree with Melanie on that one. This is not what you want during the fast. Um, have it to open your window. Have it as part of your window, get your protein there, get your peptides, your collagen, have that in your eating window, but not during the fast because you, you're no longer fasting. I think it's a great way to open your eating window. So then those proteins aren't competing with any other proteins and they can immediately go and they're, they're very beneficial for the gut, um, for the gut lining. So I like to often 
open my window with collagen proteins. And um, Jennifer also asked about supplements. And a lot of the ones that she listed, um, probiotics, fish oil, things like that, can be very food-like. So I would save all of the supplements that are food-like and have them in your eating window just whenever possible. Fish oil, I'm, I'm actually a proponent of getting that from fatty fish. Um, that's a whole tangent. Uh, same with multivitamin. I'm a fan of whole foods. Probiotics, people are on the fence about when to take them, but it seems that they are best taken about half an hour or so before your meal in general, but there's, there's debates about that. Hi, friends. Now, if you're anything like me, you love biohacking, intermittent fasting, and getting feedback and data on what our bodies are doing. Now, when we do intermittent fasting or extended or prolonged fasting, it's hard to get feedback sometimes on how our bodies are doing in terms of fat burning and ketosis. This is one of the reasons that I created the Tone Device, which is a breath ketone analyzer. It can tell you the rate of fat burning your body is in by detecting the ketones on your breath. If you practice intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating, do an occasional 24-hour fast like once a week, or prolonged or extended fasting, it's likely your body is getting into light ketosis. If you are doing keto or low-carb, even sometimes paleo, you may be getting into a deeper state of fat burning and ketosis. If you do a high-carb diet, then you probably get into a light state of ketosis after some fasting. What I love about the tone is that you can simply breathe into it for about four to five seconds, and it will give you instant feedback on the rate of fat burning that your body is at. Now, when we are in ketosis, our bodies are at their highest rate of fat burning, which is what is so neat. We actually breathe out our fat. So the carbons that we are measuring with the tone device are actually coming from our fat. When we practice different approaches like intermittent fasting or doing time-restricted eating, lower-carb diets or keto approaches, our bodies actually make a metabolic switch where fat becomes our primary fuel. And the body takes fat and converts it into ketones in the liver. About 15 to 20% of those circulating ketones are then diffused through our lungs, out in our breath. And it is so amazing. I absolutely love using the tone every single day. I love the biofeedback, especially when I am doing any kind of fasting. And I can see my body gradually get into a deeper and deeper state of fat burning through those ketone levels going higher and higher. Now, one of the reasons I created the tone is because testing blood ketones is cost prohibitive. The test strips are extremely expensive. They are wasteful. You no longer have to buy test strips anymore. You can just breathe into the tone device for four to five seconds and get that instant feedback. It's a one-time investment and you'll be able to test an unlimited amount of times. Now, I always recommend testing with the tone device fasted first thing in the morning and testing up until you have your first meal of the day and you will be able to see differences there, especially if you do a longer fast, you'll see the ketones go higher and higher and it really is so great to get that biofeedback. Now, for the past year and a half, I've been working on a brand new version 
version of the Tone, the second generation Tone device, and I am so excited for it to soon be available to you all. I wanted to create a special launch discount for the Tone device so that any of you who are interested can take advantage of that discount. I've never discounted the Tone device before, but if you are signed up to the exclusive VIP list, you will receive that launch discount. To sign up for the list, you can go to tonedevice.com and enter your name and email address and you will receive an email which you can confirm to double opt in and you'll be the first to know when the new second generation tone device is available to order and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. I am so excited for you all to try it so be sure to go and sign up at tonedevice.com. All right now back to our show. Okay, are we ready for some questions about various creamers? Yes. Okay, so our first is from Denise, and she said, clean fast. And she says, hi, ladies. Great job on the podcast. It's very enjoyable, and I learn a lot. I started IF right before Christmas with the goal of getting used to the process of a 16-8 window. Success came with getting through Christmas and New Year with no weight gain. Three weeks into January, and I am down seven and a half pounds, and eating window varies from a four-hour to a six-hour window, but I always close my window by 7.30 p.m. My question is, I really enjoy coconut creamer in my coffee, and often I will enjoy some kombucha prior to opening my eating window anywhere from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Is this considered not observing a clean fast by having coconut creamer or kombucha? Thanks, ladies, and love, love, love the podcast. Then Ashley talks about coffee and IF. She said, hi, I am new to IF and have listened to a few podcasts, which I love. During a coffee podcast, you suggested to drink coffee black when fasting, but I must have my cream. If I have a little half and half in my coffee during a fast, does this ruin the fat burning process? Thank you. And then finally, Aaron says, do you think unsweetened and flavorless almond milk or creamer in coffee is bad? Any info would be great. Thanks. All right, so we've talked all about all of this at length um, before, but we are um, basically no. <laughs> We're not proponents of adding creamer or anything like that to your coffee because we are proponents of clean fasting, and it's those all have the potential to throw things off as far as um, insulin goes, as far as the fasted state goes as far as all the things go. I mean, there is debate about whether or not fat stops the fasted state or not, but we talked about this on a previous podcast at length. So I'll put a, a link to that podcast in the show notes. Yeah. I mean, you definitely don't want to have um, coconut creamer. Definitely not the regular. coconut one. Yeah, Definitely not. I mean, I looked up the, the nutrition facts on that and you read those nutrition facts, you're going to know that is not something you want during a clean fast. I mean, that's food. It's food to your body. And the same with kombucha. I mean, they have nutritional facts. I mean, and kombucha is usually very, very high in sugar. Like, yeah, kombucha is a no, no, no. <laughs> Definitely. These are not for fasting. Definitely not for fasting. If you absolutely cannot drink coffee without cream, then just open your window with coffee with cream. Boom. Now you're having <laughs> coffee with cream. Fast until that point and then have your coffee with cream and consider your window open. That would be my suggestion with that. And I agree mostly, although I will say that I'm not quite as intense as Jen about the clean fasting just because I know that I personally trans 
transition to intermittent fasting and I had creamer in my coffee for quite a while and I was losing weight and saw benefits. But in the end, I do think it's easier when all is said and done to go the straight up clean fast, no co- no creamer, like just bite the bullet and it'll be better in the end. We have a quick question about Splenda from Lisa and she says, I read conflicting information on this. Does Splenda cause an insulin release and break the fasting cycle? I'm just getting started and want to know if my fasting window is 12 to 6, but I feel that I need coffee in the mornings. Can I use butter and Splenda in the coffee without releasing insulin and breaking the fast? Thanks, Lisa. The answer to that is no. <laughs> and I've got – well, we have a paper that will attach to the um, to the show notes. It's a 2008 paper called Cephatic Phase Insulin Release in Healthy Humans After Taste Stimulation. And I talk about this in Delay, Don't Deny. And I'm just going to read this quote directly from this study. I mean, yes, you're going to see conflicting stuff out there because people want to be able to have something sweet during the fast. They, like, want to so badly. Um we just, we want that, that sweetness. I mean, we're hardwired to crave sweetness as humans. So, you know, we think, well, I can figure out a way to have it. It's not going to affect the fast. But in this paper, um, the cephatic phase insulin release, that's CPIR, they call it. This is a quote from that. A significant increase of plasma insulin concentration was apparent after stimulation with sucrose and saccharin. In conclusion, the current data suggests that sweeteners, sucrose and saccharin, activate a CPIR even when applied to the oral cavity only. These people were not even swallowing it. Splenda is not saccharin, though. I know, but it's the sweet taste. It was the taste of the sweet sucrose. It's actually sucralose is what um, what Splenda is. But, you know, your brain is not smart enough to know this one is sucralose. This one is saccharin. This, it's the sweetness that does it. So um, it's the taste stimulation. They were using sucrose and saccharin. But the sweet taste is what activated the insulin release, swishing it around in your mouth. So if just the taste activates it, then you know that's going to be a problem. Um, Jason Fung talks about this in the obesity code, and this was the big aha moment for me. He talks about how stevia caused more of an insulin release than even table sugar, which was was my, you know, come to Jesus moment about um, giving up stevia. And it made all the difference in the world for me with, with switching over to having a stevia-free fast that was when it suddenly wasn't hard anymore to fast. That's when it suddenly became effortless. That's when I suddenly stopped struggling with weight regain. Um, and I don't think all those things are coincidences. You know, they've also done studies with rats where they clip the um, the nerves that take the, the taste from the tongue to the brain. And they did not have an insulin response once those sensors were snipped and the nerves, no, the, the taste didn't get to the brain. So it, it shows that it's it's what the brain thinks is happening. Um, the brain thinks you're having something sweet. The brain thinks you're having calories. The brain thinks you need insulin to deal with that. So you're definitely going to read people all over the Internet. If you want to find the opinion that sweet tastes are not a problem, you can find that. But based on everything I believe, anecdotal evidence from people in the groups, personal experience, the science that I've read, it absolutely can cause an insulin release, 
And that is not what we want if we want to get into fat burning. And then also she talks about butter. There's the whole debate, like we said, about fat. And if it was straight up fat, like MCT oil, that's one thing. But butter um, actually has proteins in it as well. And it has saturated fats, which require digestion. So butter, at least in my opinion, is a no-go. And then to that point, the next question is um, from Chris. And he says, huge thank you and a question. Hello, Jen and Melanie. Thank you for the outstanding podcast. I have listened to every episode. You're doing a great job of having fun with the subject, bringing great value to the community, and helping others live better lives. I love that it is not focused on calorie counting and being skinny or starving yourself, but living with more vitality, energy, clarity, and longevity. I do a podcast myself, which is the LTR Life Through Rhythm podcast on improving our lives through drumming, so your podcast helps me make mine better as well. Thanks for all you do questions. And he says, I do a 17-7 IF. I've just never heard that combination yeah, that's before. Yeah. That's 17-7. That's a new one. But when I wake up at 5 a.m., I drink a butter MCT coffee. I heard your episode on this and I have also read studies that say different things. But if your body is trained to be in ketosis and since there is no solid food or sugary insulin spiking sweetener being taken, does the buttered coffee does the buttered coffee knock me out of the fasted state or not? I've read different accounts. I read that even though the butter has about 500 calories because it's liquid, and if the body is trained in and stays in ketosis, the fasted state is maintained. However, if it does knock me out of the fast, does this mean I am resetting my fast and would have to wait another 16 hours getting back to the fasted state, therefore not getting any of the fasting benefits? Um, and then his second question, he says, I find that my body wants more water when I'm fasting and I'm always trying to walk the line of not peeing every five minutes due to an empty stomach or getting dehydrated, yellow pee. I find that when I drink water while fasting, this gives me an energy boost when I'm fading. Is this normal? Am I cleansing my system or am I putting stress on my kidneys by drinking too much? Maybe I should be putting a touch of Himalayan salt in the water. When I'm starting to fade, should I just keep drinking lots of water and push through until I get to the next level of getting back to having energy? Is this normal, this fading? And can you talk a bit more about autophagy? Thank you, Melanie and Jen, and looking forward to many more future episodes. Chris. So the Bulletproof Coffee, like I said, we talked about this before, and there's the whole debate about whether or not straight up fat breaks the fast. For butter, like I said, it has proteins, has saturated fats, which do require um, digestion and do have to be shuttled into the lymph system. You could maybe make a case for straight up MCT oil, especially if you get just the C8 version, which is the shortest form of the medium chain triglyceride, which is shuttled directly to the liver. It doesn't go through the lymph system. There are arguments that maybe that doesn't break the fast at all. I've actually been experimenting with it personally. In general, I think we're going to say for butter, no. <laughs> How do you feel about the the resetting the fast? No, I don't I don't think you'd have to wait 16 hours before I mean, 
Now, I mean, we, we've talked about that before, that the timeline is going to vary. It depends on what, what you've got going on, your stored glycogen, your, I mean, so many, so many things, you know, how long it takes your body to process it. It's not like a, a clock that you reset. Your body is doing a lot of things behind the scenes at any given moment. So it deals with what it has to deal with, and it goes back to the fastest state. It's not going to take 16 hours. Irony of our discussion last week aside yeah. with the metabolic clock. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. now I do I do have a point about the um the MCT oil as far as it it just depends on what Chris's goals are or anybody's goals. If you're trying to lose body fat, you don't want to be ingesting excess body fat. The math of that doesn't work out. I analyzed it based on the studies. I have a link to it in a blog post on jenstevens.com about coffee and the math of increasing your metabolism versus how much energy of MCT oil it takes to increase the metabolism, it doesn't even out. So you're not benefiting yourself if you're trying to lose fat by ingesting the fat during the fast. So if you're not trying to lose fat, if you're trying to gain weight or whatever, then the pure fat is going to be the least um, worrisome thing like we were just talking about. But it's all of what your goals are. Yeah. And then as far as Chris's question about the water, we actually talked about water at length on another podcast, so I'll put a link to that on ifpodcast.com slash episode 46. But um, I really encourage listeners not to overanalyze the water thing. If you're thirsty, drink water. If you're not, don't stress about it as much as our common world likes to make us stress about it. Electrolytes are huge, so you might benefit from having some Himalayan salt or other electrolytes, so that can definitely help. Oftentimes, it's an electrolyte issue, not a water issue. And hydration can also involve, like you said, salt and such as much as the actual water. All right, we've got a question about mushroom coffee, and I know that you're excited to answer this one from Letitia. So I'm going to I'm going to read this one. It's about four sigmatic mushroom coffee. Hello Jen and Melanie. I have just been introduced to your podcast and I am in love. Thank you very much, Leticia. The information you both provide is helpful and supports me on my IF journey. Wishing you both blessed energy and continued curiosity as you both learn more about IF. My question, can I drink four sigmatic mushroom coffee during my fast and stay in ketosis? What about the four sigmatic mushroom elixirs? Thank you for your time. Thank you, Leticia, for your question. I was excited about this because a lot of the other podcasts I've been listening to, like all of a sudden they were all mentioning this Four Sigmata Mushroom Coffee. I was like, what is this? So I reached out to the company and I had them send me a sample and I said I would review it on the podcast. So that's what I'm doing right now. So basically they have the the mushroom coffees and then they have the coffee elixirs like Leticia mentioned. And it's interesting. So I thought it was going to be, I thought the mushroom coffee was going to be just coffee made from mushrooms, but it's actually instant coffee with mushroom extracts added. I'm surprised we didn't get any questions about instant coffee because instant coffee, you're using the actual powder. There's not, yeah, it's not brewed. Or is it just dissolves? But you're putting like physical stuff. And actually... Studies have found that instant coffee often cross-reacts with gluten sensitivity, but then I did more research on that, and it's not because the actual coffee has gluten, but it's that instant coffee is often contaminated with gluten proteins. 
which is interesting. So yeah, so I tried it and it actually it tasted really good. So for example, the one I tried is like their normal main one and it's instant coffee powder, cordyceps etch extract, and shaga extract. So those are mushrooms. And then um, like they have another one that I haven't tried yet that's instant coffee powder with lion's mane extract, shaga extract, and rhodiola rosea, which I'm a big fan of rhodiola. Those are fine for the fasted state. They have like the mushroom extracts, but I don't, I, I personally, I don't think it's a problem, especially after like trying them myself. What do you think hearing that, Jen? I would consider them also in the gray area, um, like, like we talked about with other things like the herbal teas. You know, it's one of those things, once you know how your body feels on the clean fast, try them and you'll know if it's a problem for you. You're not like eating a mushroom, right? It's just, it's just, right? <laughs> yeah. And my, it's not giving you sweet flavor. So I, I would think. And it's kind of like a supplement in a way. Right. More so a supplement than, than like a food. I would just, you know, don't they have some that have other things in it that you wouldn't want, like cocoa and avoid those? I was going to say the elixirs are a different story because they, they don't have coffee. They're the mushroom extracts, but then they'll have like, They'll still have supplements that might be okay, like the one I'm looking at right now has Eulothero, which is uh, Siberian ginseng extract, peppermint extract, that's probably okay, rose hips extract. Actually, oh, the reason I have this one pulled out because this, this one I think is probably okay, but um, a lot of the other ones have like stevia in them. The reishi mushroom elixir has reishi, star anise, peppermint, licorice root, and stevia. I would stay away from that one. And then they also have some that are made with, like you said, Jim, with cocoa. So I would stay away from those. Read the ingredients list and stay away from any that are going to seem to have sweeteners or like sweet cocoa kind of flavors. Yeah. And then that said, so they say what they're for. So like the their mushroom ones are for productivity and performance. And those are the ones that I talked about in the beginning. I think those are fine. Like the Rishi one that has the stevia... In any case, it's for stress and sleep. So you would be having that in your probably in your eating window anyway. Yeah. They do list one as being energizing, the mushroom hot cacao mix, but I wouldn't do that. It has like stevia and problems. So yeah. Read the ingredients and adjust accordingly. All right, we have one last question. It's from Nikki, and um, the subject is caffeinated water. And Nikki says, Hi, ladies. Love the podcast. It's been a great way to learn about IF. Here's my situation. I don't drink coffee or tea. Believe me, I've tried. It's not going to happen. Sparkling water is all right, but I want a way to get caffeine in without breaking my fast. I was recently introduced to, to caffeinated water. The brand is Water Joe. Um, it's simply that water and caffeine, nothing else. Is this okay for me to drink during the fast? I don't feel good about taking caffeine pills. Thanks for considering my question, ladies, Nikki. And hi, Nikki. And Nikki actually also brought up this question on Instagram. Um, so hi, Nikki. I said we would get to your question and here it is. And, um, I think that's fine. Yeah, me too. Nikki, if you haven't yet listened to episode 45, because we discussed caffeine at length there. Um, but it's a whole debate, but basically our belief is that if it works for you, 
go for it. Yeah, it's just water and caffeine. So I looked into that, and and it doesn't have. I actually kind of want to try it. it. Does, yeah, it doesn't have any other weird additives. So um, there's no reason why not you would not have that. Alrighty, we had a few more little questions, but we'll sprinkle them in in future episodes for listeners because we are running a little bit long again. So for listeners, to wrap things up, you can go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 46, and we will put all those references that we talked about there. You can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like, and that's where we will put links to all of the stuff that we like. And then lastly, if you're in iTunes, you can subscribe to our podcast, and then you will get the episodes downloaded automatically every week. You won't have to do anything. And also, while you're in iTunes, if you could write a brief review of the podcast, that would be super appreciated. So I hope you found this podcast stimulating. Ah, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I know. Did you, save, did you save that one up? No, it just came awesome. to me right now. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of coffee questions. You can keep them coming, although we might not talk about them for a while. because We're coffeeed out. Coffeeed yeah. out. Yep. All right. Any thoughts from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think we had some really interesting questions and we, we've talked about coffee. I'm done with coffee. I'm like <laughs> over it. I just <laughs> no more coffee. I'm ready to just drink it and, and not even think about it. <laughs> yeah. We're good. Yeah. We filled the coffee quota. All right. For a while. All right. Well, I will talk to you next week. Yes. Talk to you then. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.